If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast for this March 24th, 2019. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. And uh, this day could be a huge news day or it could be a big nothing burger. We don't know yet, which is why we're a little bit uh, in a uh, holding pattern with regard to how we're going to be doing things on the world according to zig and the individual one podcast Uh, hopefully by this point you already know that i do two podcasts on sundays one is world according to zig which has generally been the non-trump related news and the other is the individual one podcast distributed by the global story network which is completely devoted to donald trump news And because the uh, Mueller report was uh, issued to the attorney general on Friday and it was has been widely speculated that at some point this weekend, the attorney general will release at least part of that or potentially the conclusions or something, (laughs) anything at this point, Uh, we are actually taping the world according to Zig first to give ourselves just a little bit more time for something to happen before we do the individual one podcast. So regardless of what the Attorney General Barr does, the Trump-related news is almost entirely, though not completely, going to be uh, on the individual one podcast, which you can find either at my uh, Twitter handle, Zygmunt Freud, or at the individual one pod Twitter handle, or at our website, which is freespeechbroadcasting.com. You can see a link there how you can find the individual one podcast. So keep that in mind that if you're looking for the Trump news, whether it's huge by the time you're listening to this or nothing at all, that's where you can find it. Now, there's plenty other things to talk about. And uh, the, while the, by the way, one there will be one Trump-related story that I'm going to talk about in this hour of the World According to Zig podcast, and that is my friend Glenn Beck, you know, of course, Glenn Beck, we've talked about him a lot on the, this podcast because I've been on his show many times. Uh, John Ziegler, I, I think he's fantastic. What a, what a interesting mind he has. Well, later on in this hour, I'll talk about his rather dramatic endorsement of Donald Trump 
for 2020, basically saying that if Trump is not reelected, that the United States as we know it will cease to exist. Uh, he and I had an interesting exchange about that via email. I wrote a column about it, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, and I will talk further about it uh, later on in this hour. By the way, I also talked extensively about it in episode number 14 of the Individual One podcast. So that'll come later on. Um, obviously, if you've been following me on Twitter for the last couple of weeks or listening to this uh, podcast, you know that I have been immersed in the controversy surrounding the HBO so-called so documentary Leaving Neverland, which had uh, two massive, uh, horrible sex abuse allegations against uh, Michael Jackson by two people who for many, many years were very, very supportive of him, never said anything about it, and now 10 years after his death are starring in this so-called documentary, which is not even close to a documentary. And so I want to spend a little bit of time updating you on some developments that have occurred there. This story is fascinating. I am trying to extricate myself from it for no other reason to have my wife get off my back because she's very worried this is going to turn into another obsession of mine that will lead to no place good uh, for me or my career. But uh, she's she knows me better than that. She knows there's not much that can be done if once I sink my teeth into something, if... Um, if there's still meat on that bone, I'm going to be, I and mean, even if there's not meat on that bone, I'm still going to be uh, grinding my teeth into it if uh, I can do anything about it. And I, I, there's a absolutely amazing story that occurred this week that I have to tell you about that I've not uh, fully discussed even on Twitter. And this is related to what I've now perceived to be an active cover-up of the fraudulent nature of leaving Neverland. Now, last week I told you about the fact that I had tweeted about a video that the mother <clears throat> that involved the mother of one of the two accusers. Wayne Robson is the really the star of the show, and he, he is the guy who I'm most positive is lying. And part of the reason why I'm positive that he's lying about his allegations against Michael Jackson, one is because I interviewed <laughs> Randy Jackson extensively, who he dated during the time period that included some of these allegations that he's now making against Michael Jackson. But also, none of his story makes any sense. It's contradicted every possible way, uh, including his very strong testimony under oath as the first defense witness in Michael Jackson's 2005 criminal trial, where Jackson was acquitted of all the charges. Well, last week I told you that I tweeted a video of Wade Robson's mother, Joy, in 2011, where she's doing a radio interview in Los Angeles, and she's saying a lot of very interesting things in retrospect. She's basically contradicting Wade in several key areas and, frankly, backing up Brandy's story of what a man whore uh, Wade is, which is awfully strange behavior. It's very strange to me that you'd be sexually abused by a man as your first sexual experience for seven years, and then just a few years later, you'd be betting Britney Spears while she's dating Justin Timberlake. You'd be uh, betting uh, Prince's wife. You've been, uh, you know, you're still dating his uh, Michael Jackson's niece. Uh, you know, this is not the, the behavior that you would think uh, from someone who would be that horrifically sexually abused as a young man by another man. Not that that proves it, but it's one of many, 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 many data points that just don't fit. Well, to me, you know, they always say that the cover-up is worse than the crime. Uh, 
And so Joy says some things that are very consistent with Brandy's version of Wade. She also contradicts Wade on when they came to America from Australia. She says he was nine at the time, not seven. Kind of hard to be sexually abused while you're in Australia and Michael Jackson's not there. Uh, but also uh, there's this, this another issue of how much time they spent together. And she really kind of downplays the whole thing. I mean, she has no reason to downplay it in 2011. I mean, she's part of her, a huge part of her so-called claim to fame is that <laughs> she basically set her son up in a business relationship or an entertainment relationship with Michael Jackson because she s describes herself as a stage mom. So, uh, you know, so there's three basic things there that are contradictory. Again, the, the burden of proof here is so incredibly high that nothing proves anything. I'm going to get to the burden of proof in, in a little while because it's insane making. But it's not the fact that, that the interview exists. It's what happened once I tweeted it. And when I tweeted it, within a day, the video was gone. Now that right there is consciousness of guilt, especially when you consider the fact that the, there, there's no indication that the, um, the YouTube channel that put out the video has had any activity in the last couple of years. I'm not sure the, I'm assuming the show doesn't exist anymore. Their Twitter handle hasn't tweeted in many years. So it's, it's not like this was some bizarre coincidence. This clearly was a case of Joy or someone close to Joy contacting the uh, publisher of the video and say, take it down. And it's important to point out, it was the only video, at least at first, uh, of this YouTube channel that suddenly got taken down. And then when I asked... Uh, on via Twitter, whether or not anyone had saved this video and whether they could repost it, several people did. And guess what happened? They were immediately hit with copyright violation citations and the videos were taken down. Now that is further evidence of a cover-up because that takes someone to take the time and effort to do that. Because you actually have to track down the video. You have to be searching. Someone has to be searching for this video in order to make, and then go through the aggravation of making the copyright uh, violation allegation. And they did it for multiple versions of the video. Now, as I mentioned last week, I had suggested to people that what you need to do is you need to cite fair use. You need to cut it down. You can't use the whole interview if you use only a portion of it. Then YouTube has no right to take it down. And to my knowledge, the person, at least one person on YouTube who did that, that video still exists. So if you want to search for it on YouTube, I have not done so, but I'm, I'm told by the person that it's still up there. So, so that was at least you know, something positive, but it's not even, again, it's not the substance of the video. It's the fact that someone is systematically trying to keep it from YouTube, which is consciousness of guilt. Well, we had a remarkably similar and potentially more dramatic situation occur this week. And this is just an amazing story on so many levels because it involves a 14-year-old girl in Liverpool in the United Kingdom. I spent, I don't know, I, at least half a day communicating via, via direct message on Twitter with a 14-year-old girl in the United Kingdom. By the way, try explaining that to your wife. <laughs> what are you doing? Well, you know, 
I'm just direct messaging a 14-year-old girl. She doesn't live in America. She lives in the in Liverpool in the United Kingdom. Nothing to see here. Don't don't worry about it. Everything's under control. Well, the reason why I was doing this was because this 14-year-old girl, apparently a Michael Jackson fan, had been uh, snooping on Facebook on the Facebook pages of uh, Wade uh, Robson's mother and his sister, Chantel. And she was finding some very interesting things. Now, from my experience in the Penn State Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky case, I can tell you, Facebook is exceedingly valuable because I don't know what it is, but people are very dumb uh, about how they uh, navigate uh, Facebook and what kind of posts they leave up. And they're not very good at, at uh, cleaning their tracks. Uh, and when a fraud, you know, when someone is perpetrating a fraud, if you look carefully enough, you're probably going to find evidence of it. Well, she, she found some things that at first were just kind of like, eh, well, that doesn't make sense, but it doesn't prove anything. Like, for instance, uh, Robeson's sister is still a member of several Michael Jackson fan groups. And, you know, the way, the way Facebook works, you know, my reaction is, well, that doesn't prove anything because after... Uh, say May 2013, when Wade goes on the Today Show, maybe she just forgot to leave those groups. And uh, this girl's point is, well, no, that doesn't make a lot of sense because you would constantly see the updates uh, on this, and, and you would be reminded, you know, with notifications as to that why are you still part of a Michael Jackson fan group when your brother. Uh, who is going on national television on the Today Show and claiming to be a, a horrible, horrific sex abuse victim of Michael Jackson. I agree that doesn't make sense, but, you know, again, going back to this burden of proof, that's not, that doesn't cut it. You need, you need something better than that. You need, you need proof that after May of 2013, one of uh, Robeson's key family members, and it's, it's, under, it's important to understand, his mom and his sister are key to all this. They spent a lot of time with Michael Jackson. They testified at Michael Jackson's trial. They, they facilitated, at least in the mom's case, the relationship with Michael Jackson. So these are not tangential people. But you, in my view, you need something that proves that after Wade goes on the Today Show, they're still Michael Jackson fans. Because that would make no sense, right? I mean, let's be serious. In the real world, that would make no sense whatsoever if, you know, if your son or your brother is a, a sex abuse victim by Michael Jackson, that you're still a Michael Jackson fan. So, uh, so I'm not that interested at first, but then this 14-year-old girl in the UK uh, sends me, because I asked her to do so, sends me uh, some evidence that Joy Robson, Wade's mom, had in fact had activity well after May of 2013, in which she also was part of a Michael Jackson fan group. She wasn't just part of the Michael Jackson fan group. She liked, and if you're on Facebook, you know what that means. She clicked on liked on at least four different pro-Michael Jackson, because they're all pro-Michael Jackson pro, uh, posts in a Michael Jackson fan group, uh, four posts at least, in 2013 and 2015, where it is clear as day that Joy Robson, the mother of Wade Robson, after the Today Show, after uh, Robson is known throughout the world as a Michael Jackson accuser, 
she is liking, she's not just part of a Michael Jackson fan group, she's liking the posts, including a happy birthday Michael Jackson in 2013, months after Wade goes on the Today Show. Now, that to me is like, okay, bum, 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 we got something here. But I need to verify it because I'm dealing with a 14-year-old girl in the United Kingdom I've never at this point even spoken to. <laughs> at this point, I don't even know her name, but she's sending me some you know, very interesting and powerful stuff. So I, I'm terrible. I don't under, I, Facebook to me is very confusing. And I, you know, I'm not a technical wizard, but I know enough to be dangerous. So I go and um, I check out this fan group. Now, this fan group, like most fan groups, there's about a post. I don't know. Sometimes there's multiple posts in a day. Sometimes there's no posts for several days. There's not thousands and thousands of posts, but there's a lot of posts. And uh, I go and find the ones that, uh, that Joy Robson had liked. And uh, sure enough, I find the posts. And to be clear, I have screenshots that have already been sent to me of Joy Robson liking them. And unfortunately, this 14-year-old girl, whether it's fortunate or unfortunate, is yet to be seen. So I, don't, I shouldn't make that statement. But, but the 14-year-old the girl, before she and I had been in contact, she had tweeted out, hey, look at this, everybody. Uh, you know, Joy and Chantel uh, uh, Robson are part of Michael Jackson fan groups. How does that make any sense? All right, now, so th there's about, I don't know, four or five hours that pass from the time that she tweets that and the time that I'm now fully engaged in this. Four or five hours. And I have the screenshots so showing that Joy liked these posts. So that's already in the bank. But as I go, now five, six hours after that original tweet, as I go back into the Michael Jackson fan group, and I search for those exact posts, I'm finding the posts, and all the likes are there except for Joy Robson's posts where she's liking them. In other words, so the post is there, all the other likes that are on the screenshot are there, but Joy's are gone. Bum, bum, bum. Now, let's do the math on this, folks. Again, the cover-up is worse than the crime. That is as consciousness of guilt as you can get, because here's what has to have happened. So someone close to Joy or Joy is, is first of all, if you're, if, you've, if you're telling the truth, there's no need to be uh, scouring social media for you know, your name or anything about you or to have people tracking down social media posts or deleting them or, or making copyright allegations against them. There's no need. There's no need. If you're telling the truth, you've got nothing to worry about, especially with the, the media on your side. But think about this. So within five or six hours tops, Joy gets word somehow, either directly or indirectly, that someone is on to her with regard to the fact that she's a member of this Michael Jackson fan group. And she has to, because it has to be her. She's the only one that can do it or unless she gives control of her Facebook to somebody else. But so let, let Oxum's razor. Okay, folks, it's her. So, I mean, this is not, she's just, this is just a normal woman. There's no, there's no machine behind her at this point that we're aware of. 
So she has to go back into this, do exactly what I did. She has to go back. She has to, first of all, think to do this, which shows panic and shows consciousness of guilt. But then she has to take the time and the effort to go through each and every one of those Michael Jackson posts to make sure that she unlikes the ones that she had previously liked. Now, that takes a lot of time and effort. And to me, that's the definition of consciousness of guilt. Because you wouldn't do that unless you were worried about something, unless you were hiding something, right? Well, this uh, 14-year-old girl uh, who is amazing, uh, she um, had also made some videotapes. And I have no idea how you do this, but I've seen it done, where she's videotaping her online activity as she's actually doing this. So she's going through and showing you exactly how it is that she found these posts and the groups that uh, Chantal and Joy are uh, members of. And, uh, and I asked her, I said, well, can you create a YouTube video in, in using these videos and using the screenshots that you've sent me? And she actually did a remarkably good job, not just for a 14-year-old girl, but for, you know, I'm trying to guide her via direct message because we couldn't even figure out how to call her because for some reason the phone number wasn't working properly. Uh, and uh, so this was all, it was incredibly frustrating. It took a ridiculous amount of my time and effort to try to explain via direct message what I'm looking for. And I got to tell you, she did a heck of a job because the, the video, you know, I was not expecting it to be perfect, but it, it's pretty darn good. And it pretty much covers everything I just told you with all the receipts. And, um, and I believe that that video is posted at freespeechbroadcasting.com. If it's not posted yet, it will be uh, shortly. So you can find that under the, uh, the news and articles section of the Free Speech Broadcasting a web page. And I, and I urge you to check it out because one, it'll just prove everything I just told you uh, with regard to this cover-up. Again, the cover-up is worse than the crime. Although I have to I have to say, there is no logical explanation for why the mom of an, an abuse victim is liking pro-Michael Jackson posts after that Today Show interview. But it's even more in inexplicable that they would go through and systematically unlike those posts. But thank goodness for this 14-year-old girl in the UK, that's been saved. Now, how much value this will have, I don't know, because, and this goes to the, the media cover-up of this whole story. Because, you know, obviously I read a column at Mediate, and my first thought is, okay, uh, should I write something about this social media quote-unquote cover-up that certainly raises serious questions about whether Wade Robson's story holds any water at all. And so I, I call up my editor and I tell him about the whole thing and we discuss it. And, you know, I, I didn't uh, give him a full court press because I realized that there's, you know, sensitivity issues with regard to this uh, topic in general, which is incredibly frustrating. You're, you're just not, the burden of proof is so incredibly high for going after anybody who claims to be a, a sex abuse victim, even their family members. I mean, the, the, the halo of protection is so large and so strong that it, it influences everybody and protects everybody. And so the bottom line is I kind of got the, well, I think you need more. 
And the I think you need more is always, you know, you know here's what that really means is, look, um, you know, this is good. This is interesting. But I just, you know, I just really don't want to do this story right now. I think, you, you know, unless you get me something more. Because that, you know, in, in the, in the media business is so subjective that there, there's, you never actually have to censor anything directly. You can just create hurdles where it's impossible to, to uh, get to the threshold where you need to be for the story to be viable. And that's essentially the, the perception. And I'm, and I'm not suggesting any sort of conspiracy or, or maybe even a wrong decision, because I do understand the political realities, probably better than anybody on the planet, of this particular subject matter. But it's incredibly frustrating, because I don't think I'm even going to be able to, to write anything about this in a way that is seen as credible in the mainstream news media. Uh, you know, the, the specifics of what I was told to do are very difficult. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine how I can make that happen. Although, you know, I'm going to make at least some sort of an effort on it, but, uh, this is how a story gets lost. Okay. This is how the truth falls through the cracks because among other things, the burden of proof, the threshold is so ridiculously high. And we've seen that uh, throughout this story and stories like it constantly, which, of course, creates a situation where it's very, very easy for a liar to get away with the lie. That's really what's happening here. We're creating it's not, uh, you know, a loophole. I mean, it is a five lane highway through which frauds can drive right through and never get caught. I mean, Jesse Smollett, I'm convinced the only reason why Jesse Smollett got caught other than the fact that the Chicago police got pissed at him, was that he claimed that this happened contemporaneously, and he put MAGA hats on his attackers. If he doesn't put MAGA hats on his fake attackers, and he claims this happened 10 or 20 years ago, <laughs> no one even questions it, because that's the world we now live in. But once he invests uh, you know, 40% of the country, Trump fans, into debunking his story, and, and he claims it happened contemporaneously, which means that it can be easily debunked through, you know, video evidence and, and what have you. Now you got a different story, especially when the police are pissed. Well, we're now living in a world where if you claim sex abuse happened 20, 30 years ago, the excuses that are provided for you are mind blowing. They're just mind blowing. I mean, and I, and I guess the most aggravating element of this to me is I am incredibly sympathetic, empathetic, open-minded about the plight of the sex abuse victim. But somebody just tell me what the damn rules are. Here, in all seriousness, I would pay a lot of money. A lot of money. If someone would just give me the following answers, and they're all very similar. Someone please tell me what would be consider, considered evidence that a sex abuse victim is lying. What would be considered legitimate evidence of that? Because, <laughs> frankly, uh, I can't imagine what else Wade Ro Robeson's story would have to have attached to it uh, to not qualify. I mean, it, 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 it I can't think of anything. I honestly cannot think other than a confession regarding the fact that uh, he's going to go through with a scam and lie. Short of that, 
Wade Robson's story has everything that in a logical world should be indicative of evidence that he's not telling the truth. But no one wants to tell me the answer to that. And similarly, no one ever wants to tell me the answer to what evidence would you consider to be legitimate that catastrophic man-made global warming isn't real? They're very similar, by the way. Very similar situations where it's effectively a religion. And that doesn't mean that there are elements of the religion that aren't true. That doesn't mean every sex abuse accuser is lying, obviously. And it doesn't mean that there's not something to the global warming situation. But at least tell me what would be considered evidence that it's not real. Which, I, you know, I've said numerous times in this podcast lately, look at the drought numbers, for heaven's sakes. If that's not evidence, it's not real. What possibly could be? Just tell me what it would be. I can't get that answer. And similarly, the third one is, tell me, fans of Donald Trump, what would you have to learn about him or what would he have to do for you to no longer think he's awesome? What would that be? be and that's also a religion. That's a cult. That's a cult. But it's all, it's all wrapped up in the same kind of thinking where there is no legitimate evidence of any of those th three things being different than the believers of this religion want to believe. And it's incredibly frustrating. I just always want to just know, what are the rules? Tell me what the damn rules are. Because if there are no rules that are violated by Wade Robson's story, then we're living in really really scary times because he is obviously lying. The evidence is overwhelming. And there was another thing that happened with regard to leaving Neverland that was so bizarre and so typical of how broken our media is and how messed up everyone's thinking is. And that involved Barbara Streisand, of all people. Did you happen to see this? Barbara Streisand over the weekend, the last several days, got embroiled in a controversy because she said something incredibly stupid. <laughs> I don't even understand what she was trying to say. But she basically made the argument that, um, some of which there was truth to, but you know, it certainly came off horrendously. But she was basically saying, and I'm paraphrasing, that these boys, these accusers of Michael Jackson, that they enjoyed it, that, was, <laughs> that their sexual needs were his sexual needs, and that it was, you know, that, that uh, they benefited from it. Um, and uh, she'd also attacked the parents for allowing this to happen, which regardless of your view of the reality, the, the, the moms are definitely, under every, any possible scenario, under any narrative, they deserve a lot of blame for this. I believe that they're behind the fraud now, both of the moms, uh, or at least participating in the fraud, uh, in some cases very poorly. But Streisand got attacked for effect effectively uh, saying that, you know, being perceived as saying pedophilia is not that bad. Get over it. There's no real damage here. Again, that's a paraphrase. I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me. And, of course, the media went bananas on this. And I can understand why they went bananas on this because it sounds like you're, you're diminishing the negative elements of pedophilia, right? Well, here's the part that's bizarre. Effectively, that's what the movie does. That's what the entire premise of the movie is. That's the entire premise of Dan Reed, the director's view of pedophilia. And he's made numerous statements to the media that indicate that, you know, 
sex between a man and a boy is pleasurable. It's a loving relationship. It's uh, there's a there's positive aspects to it. Uh, you know that, and of course, the whole reason why he needs to do this. If I just forget for a second that he might not have his own dark personal agenda, which seems possible here. I don't, I don't know that, but that seems possible. But if we put that aside for a second, the reason why this is critical, and this is why it's so bizarre that the media attacked Barbara Streisand on this, is that we have a situation where these two guys, Wade Robson and James Safechuck, their entire lawsuits against the Michael Jackson estate are based based solely in the notion that they did not understand they were being abused because it was a loving, wonderful relationship. And it wasn't until they were in their 30s, and oh, by the way, in financial difficulties, <laughs> just by coincidence, just purely by coincidence, that this there was it just so happened that both both these guys, right after they have horrible things happen, uh, either in their careers or in their financial situations, suddenly realize that sex abuse is bad in their 30s, and decide that they're going to uh, sue Michael Jackson's estate. Well, I don't buy that theory at all. I think that's absurd. I, I, I mean, this is part of what I'm talking about with regard to the rules to evaluate sex abuse. I mean, if, if, if we're going to accept that very worldly guys who are, you know, for instance, having affairs with Britney Spears, who, um, who uh, have uh, testified previously in the, a, a sex abuse case, don't understand that sex abuse is bad until their 30s? And that therefore there's no reason to say anything about it, then uh, then we'll believe anything. We will literally believe anything. It's just flat out ridiculous. I mean, come on, people. But but okay, if I accept if I accept this absurd premise, let's go back to Barbara Streisand. If we accept the absurd present, uh, 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 the the absurd uh, foundation on which this entire movie and the entire lawsuit are built then Streisand essentially just articulated what the movie's about. And so we have this bizarro world situation where media defenders of the movie who accept everything that Chuck and Robeson say is true are attacking Barbara Streisand for articulating what the movie's about. <laughs> Including, and then the, the, to put the, the insane cherry on the top of this bizarre Sunday, Dan Reed himself started to attack Barbara Streisand on Twitter. I'm like, what? <laughs> Hold on, dude. You're attacking her for articulating the premise of your entire movie, which the media doesn't want to accept. And see, this is where, this is where again, how uh, storylines fall through the cracks. Because the fact that this is a pro-pedophilia movie is so bizarre to people, and, and the media doesn't even think about it in this way because they're dumb and they haven't given it much thought and they've moved on to other things. So because that's not part of the media narrative, when, when Barbara Streisand says that, there's nobody in the media that goes, well, actually, that's what the movie's about. Instead, they're all immediately pushing their outrage button, their virtue signaling button, and they're going, oh, why? Ah, Barbara Streisand must be canceled. And of course, she immediately the next day comes out with a clarification apology, uh, which is all just bullcrap. 
Um, and look, I'm not defending what Barbara Streisand said. It was stupid, among all else. Uh, and she didn't put it in the proper context. But I just found it incredibly ironic and rather telling that people who are supporting the movie are attacking her for articulating what effectively the movie, the essence of it is. Because if you don't buy that essence, then their stories are trash. Their entire stories fall apart. And can we just be serious for just a minute? I mean, I, 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 and I've mentioned this numerous times before, but uh, when Wade Robson testifies first at Michael Jackson's trial in 2005, he is 23 years old. He's had affairs with numerous celebrities. He uh, knows what sex is. And, it, and it's also important to point out, he wasn't asked. He didn't get up on the stand as like a little boy. Did Michael Jackson do something bad to you? And he says, no, Michael Jackson never did anything bad to me. I don't know why I'm doing an Asian accent, but, but I, it, 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 I'm trying to be a kid here. He's not, he's, he's, that's not the way it went down. He is asked very specific questions. Did this happen? Did that happen? Did this happen? This physical act, that physical act. He says, no, 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 no. And he's been completely consistent about it. So the, the entire foundation of this is bullshit. It's just bullshit. And yet people are buying it because we, we're not allowed to attack sex abuse victims of any kind especially once they've been sanctified by Oprah. And I've thought a lot about this Oprah thing. There's no question that Oprah is everything in this story. If Oprah doesn't give her blessing, I actually believe that uh, this story would have fallen apart because I think that there's, there would have been enough skepticism, skepticism in the news media where they would have, for instance, been asked far more difficult questions and they would have crumbled or at least there, it would have been okay. There would have been traction for the idea that these stories are not real. But because of Oprah, it, it, it reinforced the force field, the political correctness force field and their halo of protection. And so why did Oprah do this? And you know, and she's been previously a big supporter of Michael Jackson. She did this very high-profile primetime special in 1993 about Michael Jackson that got huge ratings. I mean, she was a huge part of the Michael Jackson PR machine back then, back in the day. Uh, and she is a sex abuse victim herself. But I got to tell you, and I'm not a conspiracy person. I know the Jackson family d do believe that there's some sort of conspiracy going on with Oprah. And the more I think about it, I'm not suggesting necessarily an open conspiracy like she knows she's lying, but I do believe that there were people, and whether it was David Geffen who showed her the film on her birthday on his yacht or somebody else, it is, it's obvious to me that those who were backing this movie knew that they needed Oprah's blessing or else they were going to get destroyed. And that's the most important part of this element of the, of the topic. You, if you have the truth, you don't need Oprah. You only need Oprah's blessing if you're afraid you're vulnerable to getting destroyed if you don't have it. And so what did Oprah get in exchange for her blessing? I would love to know that. I believe that there was a transaction. Again, not overt, not conspiratorial, just, hey, Oprah, we could really use your help on this. This, You know, these, these guys are telling the truth, but, we, you know, their, their stories we're just afraid that they might be a little vulnerable because of the time period and the, and, and, you know, just no one, no one fully understands the way that sex abuse victims respond to things. And we could really, you know, we think it would really be helpful to this story. If you 
gave us your blessing. And then, of course, uh, they say to her, and by the way, that project you wanted to do X, Y, or Z, yeah, that can be greenlit, no problem. Yeah, let's, let's, let's work on that. That's, that's what happens in these situations. That's how this works. And uh, I, I'm convinced that there was something along those lines with Oprah. Because you don't need Oprah if you got the truth. You only need Oprah if you're try trying to glue together something that's a bunch of bull crap. Um, I am, uh, I, again, I, I still don't know how much longer I'll stay on this. If there's things for me to do, I will. I did an interview in the UK, which we put out yesterday. Bizarrely, I did an interview in Nigeria, which hasn't been released yet. <laughs> but I got to tell you, this Nigerian talk show host that I did an interview with on this is way more with it than 90, 95% of the American media. I, I mean, and he, he gets it. He understood exactly why the American media doesn't understand this story, is unwilling to, to tell the truth about it. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, to releasing that one as well. That should be in the next few days. But it, it, I think it's a, an incredibly telling uh, statement about the American media that I have to do an interview in Nigeria for, uh, for someone to be sympathetic to the truth in this case. No one's interested in America. No interest in America because of these bizarre rules we've now created where all sex abuse victims have to be believed no matter what. Um, and so, um, you know, I'll, I'll keep on it as long as there's something for me to do. And I do very much appreciate all the support that I've gotten from, uh, from not just Michael Jackson fans, but from fans of people who want the truth in this case. And that's really what 90% of those people are all about. They're not cult members. Yeah, they're fanatics. Uh, but almost all of the interactions I've seen have been very much substance and fact-based, and the, those people deserve a heck of a lot of credit for that. So thank you for everyone who's supported my efforts to try to, to uh, spread and articulate the truth in this case. And transitioning to Glenn Beck, and I talked about this in episode 14 of the Individual One podcast, so if you want more information about it, make sure you check that out. But Glenn Beck uh, did something very interesting this week and was upsetting to me as, as a guy who's considered myself a friend of Glenn's. I've been on his show many, many times. He's been on this podcast a couple of times. We've had a lot of on and off air communication that I consider to be very substantive, almost like therapy sessions for conservatives trying to deal with this Trump era, which have been incredibly difficult, which has been incredibly difficult to deal with. And this week, Beck <clears throat> went on Sean Hannity for the second time in uh, recent weeks. And these appearances have been almost like a confessional, like where he's confessing to the high priest of Trumpism that he, he has sinned in the past and now he's done sinning. And, uh, you know, he now sees the light. And while Trump's not perfect, uh, the left is so much worse than Donald Trump and we need to support him. He needs to be reelected because if he's not reelected, the country as we know it will cease to exist. And, you know, that, there, there's a possibility that's true. <laughs> um, but it's a situation where we're screwed if we do and we're screwed if we're not, we don't do. Um, uh, but my bigger problem with what Glenn uh, did and is doing is the timing of it. I mean, we don't know, for instance, who the Democratic presidential nominee is even going to be at this point. While I'm pessimistic about who that's going to be, it could still theoretically be someone who is at least viable that won't destroy the country for four years. 
especially if Republicans hold on to the Senate, where they can hold the line and basically nothing gets done. You know, Joe Biden is, it sounds like he sees his candidacy, and there's rumors that he might even limit himself to one term, as basically a, hey, this is a safety valve for the country. We're, we're in a crisis here of leadership. I'm going to serve for four years just to get us back to normalcy, and then we can restart this whole thing, which I, that certainly appeals to me. I mean, I'm all for that. If we can hit the reset button for four years and then, you know, regroup, realign, and refight this war uh, <laughs> in a post-Trump era, I'd be thrilled with that. Uh, I'm pessimistic about whether or not that's going to be viable because of the nature of the Democratic primary with all the progressive energy and the insanity that Trump has created, the reaction to him, the resistance to him. So um, the timing of this bothers me. Also, the idea that somehow Trump's second term would be anything close to what his first term is. I mean, think about it as a reality TV show. The first few seasons of a reality TV show they don't, it doesn't go completely off the rails because you've got good storylines. Well, a bored Trump in four years, in the next four years, with no accountability, no election to uh, be worried about, he's not going to give a damn about the second midterm election either. All those situations where he doesn't care, I mean, he doesn't care inherently about conservatism or the Republican Party. He cares about himself. And a bored Donald Trump looking for storylines for a reality show in season six, seven, or eight is going to be incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. And way worse than what we've gotten in the first two, two and a half years of Donald Trump. And Glenn doesn't seem to be understanding that. Now, that's the negative side. And so I wrote a column, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, about why I disagree with Glenn, why I've largely held my fire uh, on Glenn, because I am incredibly empathetic to his situation, which is very different than most of the right-wing fraudulent talkers. And I don't consider Glenn to be a fraudulent talker, although I have used that word to describe him in the past before I knew him. I just think he's in a very difficult bind. Uh, from a business standpoint, largely because unlike most right-wing talkers, he employs a lot of people at the blaze, and therefore his obligations are different. And so, um, you know, I, I decided that this was a line that had been crossed that needed to be uh, articulated, and I have to give enormous credit to Glenn because both before I wrote the column and after I wrote the column, Glenn was awesome. Glenn was all class. He answered my questions. He gave me a statement. I used it in the, in the uh, column. And then afterwards, you know, he says to me, you know, because he's really offended by this idea that somehow this might be financially motivated, that his decisions on Trump are, uh, are impacted directly and primarily by financial concerns, ratings concerns. And what I said to him was, Glenn, I believe that you believe that that's not what's happening but that it is possible that your perception, and this is just human nature, your perception of events regarding Trump are, are and I don't forget the word I used, but that they, they, uh, they're blurred, your perception is blurred because it's so clearly in your self-interest to be pro-Trump. And, you know, 
my wife was very concerned and other people, my, you know, supporters of mine were concerned because, oh, my God, you know, you don't want to piss Glenn off. He's not going to have you on your show anymore, on his show anymore. He won't come on your show anymore. I'm like, well, if that's what happens. That's what happens. I'm sorry. That's what I do. I just tell the truth. If, let the trips fall where they may. I hope that's not what's going to happen. Uh, and I hope it doesn't destroy our friendship. And much to Glenn's credit, Glenn responded in an email to my assertion that, you know, what maybe your perception is being uh, clouded by the financial realities here. He responded, and I think this is a direct quote, could be, thank you for your friendship and your honesty. Now, that is not the response you would get from any other major big-time talk show host whose egos are out of control and, you know, they're talking to somebody who's not important, like John Ziegler. They would just basically either not respond or they would say, you know, go screw yourself. And Glenn didn't do that, and he deserves an awful lot of credit for that. So I still consider him a friend. I still have respect for him. Uh, I uh, am trying to influence him a little bit if I can, if I have any influence, which I doubt. I don't even have influence over my wife, so I doubt I have any influence over Glenn Beck. But I would at least like to be able to keep the lines of communication open so that uh, as this thing goes along, that, uh, you know, should the uh, facts warrant it, that maybe Glenn could adjust his position on Trump. I fully understand better than anybody the economic realities of this and why it is that you cannot tell the truth about Donald Trump from a conservative perspective, which is a large part of why we created the Individual One podcast, which I hope you'll check out. And that's a good transition for ending this particular hour of the World According to Zig podcast. So, um, Make sure you check out Individual One Podcast. As always, I ask uh, really only two things of you with regard to the World According to Zig or the Individual One Podcast, and that is please share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. And uh, also do yourself a favor, and if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. SleepCoolNow.com 1212